Hello, everyone. Welcome to the AMT Tech Trends podcast, where we discuss the latest manufacturing technology research and news. Today's episode is sponsored by AM Radio. I am Benjamin Moses, the Director of Technology. And I'm Stephen Lamarca, AMT's Technology Analyst. Steve, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I just came back from Oak Ridge. Well, not just came back, but I was at Oak Ridge National Labs. That's a fun time. We had a committee meeting there. And it's, I think I visited there about three or four years ago, and they've grown significantly. So they've moved their manufacturing demo facility uh, to another building, I think. Uh, but they've developed okay. it significantly. So they have a lot more equipment there. And there's one, so in general, they're really interested in industrial research into applications. So they're um, taking problems from industry and they work with industry to say, we want to solve this problem in six months, in one year. So they have very short lifespans for a lot of their projects. And uh, they have a lot of uh, products that get spun out of there that get put into industry use, either as new products or uh, internal. So I definitely recommend checking them out if you uh, have a really complex problem or something that you're interested in exploring with them. But one of the cool applications they talked about is very simple solutions. Uh, I'll say loosely simple. So one of the cool things that they have is a, um, a cell where they have three robotic arms doing uh, uh, 3D printing, metallic 3D printing okay. on those synchronized um, arms. Like the end of arm tooling yeah. is additive. Exactly. Okay. It's really cool because it's all synchronized, which is uh, fairly novel uh, in this case. But, you know, one of the simplest solutions they solved was um, uh, there's a big trend mm -hmm. in um, growing large metallic parts, like massive, like several thousand pounds of yeah. uh, material used. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. Like there's one with... Um, uh, some, I think, defense related where they're doing like nose cones. Right. So instead of machining that or waiting for a big casting, like, can we print this? Like, sure. And it's, you know, several feet in length and several feet in diameter. Yeah. So, you know, they, they can be printed, right? You, when you're flowing that much volume, you know, the surface finish is terrible. So you go from 3D printing, now have to post-process it, which gets into additive manufacturing. Sure. So the idea is, okay, let's print it and then machine it. That's what everybody does, right? Hybrid. Can I print it? Yes. Now you've got this three foot long section that you've got to tool up for. Yeah. So you've run into scale problems and the subtractive side, which has been solved before, but these problems still do exist in, in that large and machining that scale where, you know, you've got vibrations, long tool, you have to support the tool itself. Then you've got uh, issues on uh, access, right? So, yeah. you know, what if we close off a corner, you know, you're not trying to machine like a blind corner. So you could use boring bars. So, the very simple solution is just machine after a little bit of printing. So instead of printing like three feet of length, right? Print one, one foot, machine it down, weld prep, of course, because you got to clean the, the uh, surface to make sure you can right. weld again, basically. And then print your next section, machine, print in next section. So, it's, you know, it's not, oh, it, it is rocket science at that point. because it's, <laughs> it's a nice uh, guy. <laughs> but, you know, it's a very simple solution. But, you know, you, you wouldn't have thought about, the impacts unless you started that trial and error. I sure. Thought, I thought it was pretty cool. It is fascinating. Um, that, so they, they used to, they started with uh, 3D printing like like uh, machine tool chassis, right? Like what are they? They're not chassis. What the car they? chassis, do you mean? No, no, no. Like for a machine tool, it has to have oh, like yeah, that. Yeah. It's yeah, typically so, made out of like cast iron. Right. So the new experiment that they're running is uh, getting, oh, this ca is new. Okay. getting castings for machine bases is very difficult. There was an issue a couple of years ago where uh, basically, you can only buy them from China. There's right. no no other place in the world, you know, casting, large casting of that size died down in the U.S. many yeah. years ago. So if there's issues on boats, if there's issues with their casting houses, where are you going to get castings from? 
So the question is, what other materials can we use? So they need something dense, very strong. Then the idea of a concrete base came, uh, came up. So the idea is they would 3D print the mold uh, and the housing out of uh, very high strength polymer and then backfill that with uh, concrete. So now your base, now they're using a, um, like a three axis gantry style. Right. Um, but the idea of using concrete for large scale machines is, has been around for a long time. Right. You can use reinforcements in the rails and the ways, things like that. But using concrete that's uh, surrounded by, um, you know, the polymer is what they're experimenting. And the cool thing about it is just they're using poured concrete. They can put in sensors inside the concrete or right at the edge. So they can put vibration <gasps> sensors. Yeah. They can, uh, you know, it's embedded in the uh, into the base itself. So it's, it's really and they had that up and running. So they have they have a fully uh, uh, they have a control setup to it. Um, and of course, they want to machine large parts So the idea of manufacturing or subtractively manufacturing parts that are larger than the machine it's always a problem right so if i want a machine like a big blade right you're gonna have this massive gantry um or you can have the parts sticking out of the machine and that's what they're looking at is um you know if they want a machine like a uh, turbine blade or um, a windmill blade yeah right so or screw or on screw, a ship or screw on a ship exactly um you know, you could machine a portion of that, feed it into the machine more, you index it, of course. That's the, yeah. the line. You have to have a line on marks or something like that. Uh, and the machine a little bit more and then keep feeding it through the machine. So if you've ever seen like those infinitely printed, infinitely printing uh, 3D printers mm-hmm. where it's got a conveyor, basically you're printing at an angle and just feeding along the conveyor is along the same concepts. Uh, so they're they're looking at those type of styles. And there's a couple other companies that are doing that too for different techniques. But yeah, it's on their machine and they're trying to figure out how to scale up uh, um, both the capability of, of that type of machine and the long-term impacts of basically having a concrete base. Sure. Wow, man. Some smart people there. Ornol is crazy. Like, we've got more smart people to talk about later this episode. But, we do. But until then, let's talk about the testbed uh, in that I don't really have anything to update because we were going to buy another Pocket NC. <laughs> <laughs> that was on the plan. Yep. I've I've been I've been trying to order another pocket NC. They got back to me with a quote and everything. Yep. And they're excited to be at uh uh IMTS, which nice. is really sick. That's cool. Um hashtag we brought it to IMTS first. <laughs> um but uh um we don't have it on order yet. Oh no. We maxed out the credit card. That yeah. <laughs> My team ordered a bunch of replacement laptops, so we had some <laughs> and yeah, we'll, we'll get into that later. That's but, a surprise. Uh, so yeah, the other uh, we talked. I think we talked about this before. We sent the other bed, the other pocket NC down to our tech center in Mexico. Right. They're using as a uh, digital demonstrator to get um, information off the machine. One of the purposes of our test bed is that it can be mobile. Yep, and it can be mobilized and shipped all over the world, all over the country, but also you know it happens to be all over the world as well. Yep. So it went down to Mexico. Uh, they loved it and are like, "Hey, can we keep it?" <laughs> And instead of being like, oh, well, you know, uh, we were just like, you know, there's a newer pocket NC, a newer, hotter pocket NC out. So, uh, yeah, go ahead and keep yeah. it. We'll just get another one. They're still cheap, <laughs> thankfully. Thankfully. But, uh, we got the connections. I'm really excited to see the new pocket NC because not only is it more capable. Right. So, like, there's a big old massive chuck in the bed now yep. uh, to help center parts. Um, there's a, they have a new designed vice that nice. comes with it, which this is all stuff that you could have done on your own. But, you know, I'm not a manufacturing engineer or a machinist, you know, um, so they've done it for me. And But one of the big things is they have they have an entirely new 
operating system. Oh. They have like a new control, nice. uh, which I'm really excited to see. So yeah. the old Pocket NC was the control computer was a BeagleBone Black. Mm -hmm. It may still be a BeagleBone Black running um, uh, a form of Linux. Right. And the actual controller and HMI was a uh, open source software program called Machine Kit, okay. which is a watered down. It, there's no other better way to say it, but um, it's a watered down version of Linux CNC, right. which is an open source Linux based HMI right. control software for a CNC machine. Um, now they have their own in-house proprietary uh, CNC software, control cool. software, yep. which I'll be really excited to use <laughs> and really excited to ship it straight out to uh, Sharab and have him make it <laughs> MT Connect compatible. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm excited to see that. And I think it'll help us in our journey to automation, too. So the previous one, I think, um, had some control, not control, but some access issues where I think the new one will allow us to automate the entire cell uh, a little quicker. Right. I just hope I can maintain, keep the same uh, old password. <laughs> password is password. Uh, Poopsmith. <laughs> Steve, tell us who our sponsor is uh, today. Our sponsor is AM Radio. AM Radio is the new podcast from Additive Manufacturing Media. Join editors Pete Zielinski, Stephanie Hendrickson, and Julia Heider as they share stories of companies succeeding with 3D printing today. Talk about emerging trends and discuss the future opportunities and potential for AM in the context of the larger manufacturing landscape. New episodes are published every other week. Subscribe now on Apple or whatever you listen to podcasts. Tune in to Additive. Thanks, Steve. That was like the cleanest read ever. Congratulations, you can read. It's tough to read on Maybe mic. I read that a little fast. <laughs> I think it could have been a little bit slower, but... We'll work on that. Wow. I didn't think it would be a, a one-take wonder like that. Well, I hope it is, <laughs> the way we record. Yeah. <laughs> so I've got a lot of articles, actually two articles on aerospace. The first one is um, Super Material Helping G Adaptive Cycle Engine Deliver transform Transformational Performance. There's a lot of marketing words in that, but... <laughs> they're, they're using carbon matrix composites in their turbine blades. So it's, it's fascinating material. And the reason I want to bring this up is they've been experimenting, not experimenting, testing this for a while. And they're at a maturity level where the, the technology is proven to be robust based on number of hours on the aircraft. But also they've been exploring the supply chain for this. So it's not, it's not like you're going to run down to Granger and pick up this material. It's very customized material because they can handle the thermal um, uh, environment of the turbine section. Um, and and what's the whole point of that? The key is get sustaining higher temperatures in the turbine section so they can get better performance. In the end, in this one case where I think it's the XA100, which I think is used on the F35, they're getting 25% better fuel efficiency. That's they're, an engine? That's an engine. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. It's a, uh, no worries. a turbine engine. Um, and it's a, uh, and they're getting 25% better fuel efficiency out of it and 10% um, better thrust. So significantly better performance out of, uh, yeah, that's incredible. You know, being able to control the, uh, the uh, thermal properties to the engine better. So it, it's fascinating. And you know, the, now it'll cascade into the, my next article later on is that there's a lot of new materials coming out. Yeah. You, you know, you look at some of the skin or some of the structure within aerospace, it's still going to be aluminum, still going to be 6061, you know, T six or whatever, right. but the cutting edge material where there's going to be a lot of a lot of material, right? You're going to use how many turbines are you going to build and then the number of blades. There's a lot of materials, uh, the life cycle for the, or a supply chain for that's going to be fairly large. They're, they're doing a lot of cutting edge stuff where 
there's significant growth in new new materials and the benefits of these new materials, right? Right. So it's you know you know as a person that flies a lot, I'm never going to see 25 percent cheaper flights because they're saving yeah. more money. But the idea, I mean, the whole idea to be uh, more efficient is is fantastic. I mean, have you seen the bill on the F thirty five? They're trying to pinch pennies where they can at this point. I mean, the helmet itself. <laughs> the helmet's sick. I love man. Speaking of what happened to AR, you know, they they put the HUD in the helmet. That's that's still really cool to me. Yeah. I know they did that like decades ago. At this point, now at least it feels like decades. It's probably at least one decade. Um, but still, side cool tangent. Concept. It's it's weird that the obvious applications for a lot of technology still isn't adopted that readily. So like an automotive I'm in my car, if my dashboard, but my, um, like all the, um, gauges on my dashboard are all heads up display, which heads up displays have been around for a long time. It's not that hard to do. Right. You could get rid of 80% of the dashboard. And just have that on your screen. It's been around since Nam. <laughs> the F4 Phantom had a, had a, uh, heads up display and probably planes before that. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Let's talk about what you want to talk about, Steve. Okay. What did I have next? It wasn't oh, the robotics one. MIT. Speaking yes. of smart people, MIT. Yes. So I may have spoke about it in an earlier podcast episode. I definitely spoke about it in a past tech report. Um, MIT's CNC. And by CNC, I do not mean computer numeric controls. Yep. I mean uh, cellulose nano crystals. Oh, that's cool. Man, I don't know why I'm struggling on it so much. But yeah, so in a previous article, when like MIT first released this research they had been doing. Right. You know, it's MIT. So yeah. it's really smart. And as soon as it's released, people are going to need a little bit of time to understand what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and such is proven by the first article I reported on, which misreported on the sustainability potential okay. right. of CNC. Um, but the truth has now emerged now that people understand what it is that <laughs> MIT did. And are you familiar with for, uh, are are you familiar with toughness versus strength in terms of materials? A little bit, a little bit. Okay, I'm not. Yeah, tell and me. and like you know, in terms of like pocket knife science and engineering, <laughs> um, when you talk about blade steels, right? You know, some blade steels have a higher toughness, and sure. some blade steels have a higher strength. Yep. And this article actually laid out the differences between toughness and strength beautifully. Nice. They said um, a plastic bottle is tough. Sure. You step on a plastic bottle and it crunches and deforms, yep. but it still stays whole. Right. It just it just cha- it, it flexes and it, because it doesn't break, it is tough. Yep. A glass bottle is strong. It doesn't change its form. It doesn't deform. Yep. But when a certain threshold is met or exceeded, it shatters. Yep. It's okay. strength. It's strong, but it's not tough. Right. And the article goes on to explain that traditionally materials can't be both. Sure. I mean, I'm sure there's some compromise materials that are a little bit of both, but not right. really good for either one. Um, anyway, MIT's research has proven that these uh, cellulose nanocrystals, which are derived using a lot of energy, uh, are derived from wood pulp, you know, the same mm-hmm. 
basically raw materials, trees, right. you process trees to make wood pulp. That wood pulp is used to make paper. Same stuff that goes to is used to make paper. Um, cellulose nanocrystals can be used to make a new polymer, mm. a new essentially organic polymer yep. that is both tough and strong. Nice. And it sounds incredible and I'll link the article below. <laughs> it is fascinating. Yeah. And you know, you and I were talking about, you know, uh, being more uh, environmentally friendly or our consumption of uh, different products have changed over time. You know, there's a really big push to reduce our um, paper consumption, reduce yeah. uh, tree usage. And that's gone down quite oh, a bit. Man. Right? Yeah. Um, now we've shifted to reducing our plastics waste, which is fair because that's, that's debris floating everywhere. Right. right. So, and increasing our um, you, uh, recycling utilization. So being able to harvest basically wasted byproduct in the whole petroleum process to make, you know, products that could be recycled yeah. in the future is the, the problem. Cool. So like with trees and like cutting down our paper usage is great because by using less paper, by going paperless wherever you can, mm -hmm. you're saving trees. Right. If this material, this material isn't necessarily sustainable because let's say it is the greatest material of all time. Yep. We got to start cutting down more trees because <laughs> it's that great of a material. Sure. And it costs a lot of energy to process right. said like the wood pulp. Uh, into said material. Yep. Um, you know, we give plastics a lot of uh, 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 heat yep. because, you know, it's just ending up in the ocean, but it would end up in the ocean or wherever people and big corporations dump stuff anyway, <laughs> instead of spending it or sending it to space the way we should be doing <laughs> it. Because like, you know, all of these plastic bottles and stuff, you know, that that's being used and wasted and, and, you know, it can't be recycled or at least as effectively as some people would want you to think. Right. Regard whether or not you drink from a plastic bottle does not dictate, you know, the use of the plastic, because if you don't use it, it's just going to be thrown away by whoever's cracking the oil uh, and, and creating it as a byproduct because we're still burning the gas. Right. I think the key takeaway is we need to launch our trash into the sun. We need to send it to space, dude. <laughs> we need to make like I honestly, as crazy as it sounds, all these billionaires that are like, you know, having their uh, their their measuring contests by send like sending stuff to space and going to space. Dude, find out how to make space travel as cheap as possible, not for human consumption, <laughs> but for trash consumption. <laughs> like the universe is ever expanding at an accelerating rate. Let's put some stuff out there. It's, a, it's the greatest <laughs> trash can ever. I got an article on NextFlex. <laughs> so it's a uh, manufacturing USA Institute. Um, and the article talks about hypersonics. I really like this because, you know, uh, GE on the previous article on GE engines, you know, they're pushing thermal limits of the materials in their engines to get better efficiency and better thrust out of it. Uh, and these guys are actually there's been a lot of talk about hypersonics recently. Yeah, there has. Do you know what hypersonics even mean? Doesn't it mean like really, really, really faster than sound? Was that five reallys? Maybe. Yes, then that's true. So, oh, wow. So the idea, you're measuring um, yourself in relation to the speed of sound, a sonic is, right? So Supersonic everything below is faster than sound. Everything below Mach 1. Subsonic. Subsonic. And at sea level, that's about 760 miles an hour. So if you're at sea level okay. and you're doing 761 miles an hour, you're doing Mach 1. So supersonic is once you're above Mach 1, and roughly just below Mach 5. That's the range of supersonic. That's supersonic. Yeah. Okay. Super fast. And, and Mach 5 being five times the five, speed of sound. Right. Okay. So. 761 times five. I can't do that really fast, but yeah. I'm sure somebody did. 
And then hypersonics is Mach 5s and 5 and above. So yeah. now, you know, if you talk about like um, the X-15, I uh, was a demonstrator a bunch of years ago, they hit Mach 6.7. Okay. So that's that's the idea that, yeah, it has been done, but now the idea is trying to get that to a commercial level where we can do this over and over again. And at those speeds, you got a lot of funky things happening uh, chemistry-wise. You know, I can only imagine. You've got, uh, you know, uh, the heat buildup. So on the X-15, the skin was made out of nickel-titanium. Okay. When's the last time you heard of a material of nickel-titanium? Um... In additive or some sort of electroplating process because nickel and nickel alloys are really good for electroplating and galvanization. Yep. So other than that, not for speed and going fast. And then you've heard stories of the SR-71 where, you know, if it's on the the ground, there's so much thermal growth at that temperature that it's operating at that when it's on the ground and it's cool, uh, they have like gaps in their system. Right. Right. So it's you're leaking fuel, but once it's that temperature, then everything grows and everything fits accordingly. And that's where uh, Netflex is coming, getting in. So they're interested in hybrid flexible electronics because of probably along the same lines where the aircraft grows so much at Mach 5, you know, it's probably growing to, going to grow a couple of feet, right? What do you do with your electronics? You just have them coiled up and hopefully it right. grows well. So Formula One car engines won't start at ambient temperature. Yep. They're totally locked up. They have to be warmed up with these little sleeves and blankets to bring the engine up to temperature before it's even started, yeah. just so the crank can turn over. It's exactly the same principle. So at these, you know, and they're looking at UAVs too. So this is a hypersonic UAV um, to, and Netflix is on board to help provide the research for the electronic side at these crazy temperatures. Because you're assuming, you know, you have a plastic, a board, you know, a motherboard in this machine. And if you attach it to anywhere, any type of structure that's going to grow that significantly, it's going to be a problem in the future. So, you know, they're awarded 17 million to look at R&D for uh, supporting this project. And, you know, I think we'll see significant more growth in sonic, uh, hyper, supersonic and hypersonic, right? Uh, the military is significantly looking at hypersonics for their, um, you know, missiles and, um, you know, their the weapons, but also uh, there's been a lot more companies looking at supersonics for commercial travel too. Yeah. Obviously, the Concorde was the most well known, um, and there's issues with uh, supersonics going o- over ground. Right, you have the sonic boom where it's currently uh, you're not allowed to travel because of the sonic boom over ground. It makes a lot of noise. It's a lot of noise. So there's a lot of things to overcome, but the idea of getting from here to there faster, um, and you know, back to the engine article, there's capabilities of achieving that. So. A lot of new materials coming out. That's the big takeaway. Okay. So just, I want to just cover some numbers real quick because I think that would be fun. Sure. Um, 761.16 speed of sound. At sea level. Um, Convert that into SI because we're (laughs) not animals. You are not. Um, (laughs) Is um, 340.27 meters per second. Sure. Let's multiply that by five to get uh um hypersonic that is 1701.3 meters per second let me convert that real quick just Back. real quick to i want feet per second so <laughs> that's a lot of feet to feet per second 
I want to say this because I'm, I'm, I'm jumping around from units I know. Right. That is 5,582 feet per second. Per second. That's pretty impressive. So I forget what the maximum speed of a projectile is that you can attain with combustible propellant. Mm-hmm. But I do know that firearms cannot exceed hypersonic speeds right. Right. or can't go hypersonic speeds. Um because they use combustible propellants, right. of course, gunpowder, yeah. yeah. um, and which is why, like the Navy and you know other crazy naval forces, probably Australia, <laughs> um, have gone to like rail guns right. to really send, really yeet some projectiles at their target uh, and exceed that threshold, which is it's it's wild to me. So maybe we're going to see start seeing some more EM propulsion Could be. for stuff like that, at least for launch. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Which is wild. But then again, you can't exceed if you're going to put passengers in it, like human passengers, right. you can't exceed a certain amount of G's. Now, so then, you may want a Gaussian uh, <laughs> prop, uh, propulsion system. Now, then you get into hybrid machines like the SR-71 had a you know a turbofan, but then it converted to a scramjet later yeah. on. So, I mean, that's propulsion is going to be an issue in the future, too. Yeah. One so. more fun fact. Do you know I'm faster than you? <laughs> Elaborate. In physics. Yeah. As an object approaches C, the speed of sound or speed of light in a vacuum. Right. Um, its mass approaches infinity. Oh. I've cultivated more mass than you, so I'm faster. <laughs> well done, Steve. You're, you're winning. Right, the last article we got is on robotics. Yes. So it's not really an article. I'll okay. be honest. I'm going to have to find a link to put in the description. Yep. But um, AMT has recently partnered, partnered with uh, Silicon Valley Robotics. Yep. And uh, the president, founder, CEO... The, the head honcho over at Silicon Valley Robotics is um, this nice lady named Andriki. We got to host her at the AMT HQ a uh, while back, and she was awesome. She was really delightful, really full of knowledge. And um, uh, anyway, recently she shared like this robotics and robot and automation technology development competition with our president doug cool and doug was doug came up to me in like the kitchen and was like steve andre sent this competition and you you're gonna love some of the technology that these competitor competitors these entrants brought to the competition and uh you know, I'll, I'll fill you in on some of my favorites. And while he, you know, he picked the the good ones, yep. um, I found one really stood out to me that meant a lot to me and my take on the manufacturing industry. So the one company that I really that really stood stood out to me as like you know, hopefully at least I can you know influence an honorable mention. But my yep. favorite company of these technology awards was a German robotics company yep. uh, called fruit core robotics. Okay. And they're German. Yep. I can't emphasize that enough. <laughs> um, their Horst line of industrial robot arms. Nice. Um, I'm Germ- sure I'm mispronouncing <laughs> that five letter word Horst. Yeah. It's spelled H O R S T. There's a there's a German high end firearm manufacturer called Korth. It's spelled it's actually called Kort, but it's spelled K O R T H. And for like the longest time until I heard a proper person mm-hmm. uh, pronounce it for me, I found out it was Kort, but it's spelled Korth. I'm sure Horst is the same way, and I'm butchering it to 
God Ala- knows what. I'll ask our one German listener to email us the proper <laughs> pronunciation. Um, it's, please send it in an audio file. Um, well, anyway, the Fruit Core Robotics horsed line of industrial robot arms ranges from 10K to 20K USD. Wow, that's pretty cool. 10K for an industrial robot. So 15K average. That's, that's cool. It's wild because, yeah. you know, we have the... X-Arm 7, right. the U-Factory X-Arm 7, seven-joint collaborative robot that we got for just above 10K, yep. I want to say. But that's Chinese. Right. A German company has brought an industrial robot to market in the 10 to 20K dollar US dollars range. That's cool. And it's wild. It's yeah. never been done before, at least by a non-Chinese <laughs> company. And... You know, we talked about I, I, it's I'm bringing it up because it's cool. It's yep. really it's huge for the industry. And it once again proved me right back in 2018. <laughs> IMTS 2018. When yeah. I told everybody after walking the floor of the student summit, right. seeing uh, Fanuc robot arms just chilling there, unplugged on the floor, holding bags yep. for kids or students to come and grab a bag and fill it up with the uh, swag from the exhibitors. It was like, that's a 70 K coat hanger, <laughs> right? Robots are going to become popular. They're going to be all over the place. And because the supply will go up or the demand will go up and the supply will go up probably faster than the demand will, because people love implementing new technology slow, the price will be driven down and such has happened. That's cool. I think we're we're witnessing that. And then weren't we just talking about the um, new company out of Canada that's got, you know, fairly inexpensive robotic yeah. arms too. What were the, what was their name? I don't know. A Canon Canadian. They'll forgive us. So we'll definitely have to look up some more <laughs> info about these guys, and we'll see if they're around for a little bit too. I mean, yeah, they're yes. they're they're inexpensive, but you know, long we'll see j- if they hold up. Longevity sells in manufacturing. Yeah. So that, that's pretty exciting. I do like the competition at. That that is very inexpensive, and uh, we'll see. Steve, I'd like to thank our sponsor, AM Radio. Where can they find more info about us? amtonline.org/resources. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Steve. Bye, everyone. Bye.